Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody, we got a great one today. You know, for a change, Michael Mann, uh, who's been on a couple times before, and each of those was almost great. But this one is just is great, you know, for a change. <laughs> and Michael, uh, if you've listened to the other two times he's been on, is a climatologist. And he won the Nobel Prize. I guess you don't win it. You were presented. He was a recipient of the Nobel Prize as part of the uh, the team that worked for the UN that uh, came up with these uh, conclusions that were screwed. I think that was the official presentation of the award. But he he's actually uh, not of the we're completely screwed, just that we're sort of screwed unless we do stuff. And because of Glasgow, I invited him on again, and I wanted I wanted to listen to him talk about what we want to hear. You know, what 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 do we want to hear come out of Glasgow? What he's basically saying in this, and he'll say it, he'll say it, which is you don't want to hear like we're going to reduce it to this percent in fifty years or in twenty. He says he want he wants very specific stuff coming out of this, and uh, he's just a, uh, he's is a great scientist, obviously, uh, but he's also a great professor at Penn State, but also a great communicator, and that's why I have him on because you know I I know uh, great scientists who just are so awful communicating. I mean. You just want to slug them. <laughs> anyway, so this, uh, but this, this is a great one, and uh, you know, for change. Anyway, so um, just want to talk. We just had Virginia, uh, the Virginia election uh, last uh, last Tuesday. Um, here's what we did wrong. Here's what we did wrong, as opposed to 2020. We didn't steal this one. I don't know why we forgot that that's that's the way we win. We steal them. Crazy. Why, you guys, didn't you steal this election like we did the last one? Oh, man. Uh, Also, I said the Republicans now, 
Youngkin uh, spent a lot of time talking about critical race theory and how it's taught in Virginia schools, uh, including in kindergarten. And he says, day one, I'm ending critical race theory (laughs) in in Virginia schools. And after day one, you won't see it there. That is so refreshing. (laughs) Kindergartners now, instead of uh, a book on critical race theory, will get to play. That's that's the new plan under Youngkin. And uh, sixth graders now, uh, instead of reading a book on critical race theory, will ha- will get to read Little House on the Prairie, which is a series, so they can read that throughout the year instead of just over and over again having lessons and being separated by race and having the white children go, I'm so sorry that we did this to you which is part of the curriculum, you know, that they've been teaching there, which is a travesty, let's face it. Now, I think the Republicans now have adopted a new strategy after this, which is lies only, lies only. And it's basically, guys, look, we found out what works, and it's lies only, okay? Uh, critical race theory, great lie. That, that That's taught. It's not... Not taught it in any schools. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, the uh, election was stolen. The, uh, you know, uh, Trump, that was stolen. Uh, January 6th was uh, a false flag operation that actually was uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And you might, you know, people will go say, well, I didn't see any black people. It was Hollywood makeup artists uh, took all the people from Black Lives Matter and made them look like, you know all these people with beards? There was a reason they had beards. <laughs> and they, they gave them white makeup, and that's who was there. It was Black Lives Matter and Antifa. You could say we have shots of the makeup artists in the parking lot of the Capitol, something like that, because that's a lie, and that's what we find works, okay? Uh, vaccine doesn't work. That's a good Go with that one. Uh, mask mandates, terrible, terrible, terrible thing because one, mask doesn't work. And, uh, wearing the mask because it doesn't work gives people false confidence. And that's why it's the virus spreads because they think wearing the mask works. Okay. We'll, we'll work that out more. I'll, I'll go through it. We'll just, you'll get the wording on that because I'm confusing myself now. But be very clear on these when you're telling the lies, okay? But don't, even if you you have something true and you think it helps us, like we have the better part of the argument, don't use it because that will just confuse us. It will confuse you, but also confuse the people you're talking to. So that's our thing now. Only lies. Only lies. Can you remember that, guys? That's our. That's how we campaign now. That's how we govern. Only lies. Okay. Whew. Michael Mann will be right with us. Uh, this is this is just a great one. Um, you know, for a change. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. 
Atlassian Software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration needed for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything, from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you connected and moving together as one. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Michael. Uh, thanks. For, this is your third time uh, with us. Yeah, and I'm, it, hopefully it'll be the best. Uh, it's, it's always good to be with you, Al. Yeah, finally a good one, I think. Yeah. We'll, let's we'll turn hope. one out. Yeah. Um, well, Glasgow has started. What are you looking for in uh, uh, COP26? What are you looking for at Glasgow? What are you hoping for? Yeah, well, uh, what I'm hoping the most is that, um, you know, we don't have a, a coal state senator back in the United States uh, throwing uh, gum in the works uh, when it comes to the Biden climate agenda. Right now, the administration has made a bold pledge to reduce carbon emissions by 50% within the next decade. And that's really provided the United States with some authority here uh, when it comes to diplomacy, when it comes to bringing other actors to the table uh, like China. Um, That's so critical that the United States speak with some authority because it is doing its part. And as long as the legislation that would codify the Biden climate agenda remains stuck in Congress, uh, it's going to be a challenge to do that. And so we really do need to see that logjam clear and the Build Back Better bill pass with the climate provisions intact, or at least the framework be firmly agreed to by you know, both uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Cinema, so that we know that there is the, the prospect for meaningful policy action and Joe Biden um, and the United States can, can use that in negotiating a greater participation by other countries in Glasgow. But what I'd really like to see collectively come out of Glasgow is the major industrial countries of the world. And, and there were some preliminary agreements made in, in G20, but we really need to see uh, the United States, the UK, the EU, and other major players agree to stop any additional investment in fossil fuel infrastructure and to get rid of any fossil fuel subsidies. Because ultimately, without those actions, what we have are politicians talking the talk, making commitments to lower carbon emissions by substantial amounts, but not walking the walk, not yet putting in place the policies that will make it possible to follow through on those commitments. So that's the sort of progress we need to see come out of Glasgow. We also need to see, again, the industrial countries of the world, the wealthy countries of the world agree to provide funds in the form of financing and and outright grants of money 
to the developing world to help them leapfrog past the fossil fuel stage. We can't afford India and other developing countries to develop a fossil fuel-driven electricity grid in their efforts to uh, develop economically. Uh, If that happens, we're going to blow past any of those targets that we've been talking about. So we've got to incentivize that. We've got to make sure that it is there in their economic interest to leapfrog past the fossil fuel stage and develop clean and renewable energy infrastructure. And that's going to require a commitment uh, potentially as much as a trillion dollars a year, again, from uh, the the developed uh, world, uh, if that is to happen. Okay, a lot to go back and unravel here. Uh, Started with kind of mansion and ended up with the trillion dollars that I don't necessarily see coming. (laughs) From (laughs) Joe Manchin himself. Let's start with, with, with Manchin. Let's start where we're, this is November 2nd, we're talking on Tuesday, right? Yeah. And uh, yesterday, I believe it was, November 1st, uh, Manchin kind of announced that he hadn't really agreed to things yet, and he wanted to see the Congressional Budget Office numbers, yeah. and you have to see those anyway before you can agree to anything, so that wasn't really news. But what has he sort of demanded that we not do that had been in the original in, in, in Biden's climate plan? And then and what can we do to maybe make up some of those uh, s- some of those losses we had in terms of how much we can uh, bring down our emissions? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm no politician, but uh, some of my best friends are uh, politicians. And so some of my best friends were. <laughs> Some of them were and, and hopefully will be again. Um, but, you know, to be to be clear, what's going on here, uh, it isn't so much, you know, the request to see the CBO numbers, because, as you say, that's sort of standard protocol uh, right. when it comes to any uh, uh, Senate uh, bill of this sort. But it's more the body language and the framing. You know, if you were looking for positive signals from Joe Manchin yesterday that he uh, embraces the spirit of the Build Back Better bill. It wasn't obvious. Well, there's a lot in the Build Back Better bill, everything from child care to, you know, pre-K to climate and about a huge amount of money, what, 500 billion, 600 billion yeah, uh, in in addressing climate. So this seemed to be the part that you started off by saying you have a senator from a coal uh, producing state. What did he seem to be nixing that was in the original five hundred billion, and can we make that up in some other part of it that he would be okay with? That's that's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, that's it's a great question. And Thank you. what he got rid of it wasn't so much the funding; it was the mechanisms. We need a way to incentivize a shift away from fossil fuel burning to renewable energy, to clean energy. And so this was sort of a a clean energy requirement for our electric grid. And that was the thing yeah. he had a problem with, right? Yeah, the, the CEPP, um, basically, it was a form of what we call a clean energy standard that requires utilities to meet up to 
uh, 80% of their electricity production by 2030 from renewable energy, and ultimately 100% by 2035. And again, there are two ways to do that. There's the carrot and the stick. The, the carrot is providing them explicit subsidies and, 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 and incentives. For wind and for solar, et cetera. Yeah, right? exactly. Wind, solar, geothermal. And then there's the stick penalizing them if they fail to, to you know, uh, actually uh, meet those requirements uh, to, to live up to the, the, the requirements. Um, and what is essentially gone now um, is the stick. So there's still incentives. There's still subsidies for renewable energy tax breaks uh, to encourage uh, the move towards solar, wind, and other sort of climate-friendly measures. But you're not penalized for burning coal. But, but not penalizing um, uh, electricity producers for continuing to double down on fossil fuels. And that includes natural gas as well. Yeah, we, we increasingly we call it fossil gas because natural gas makes it, you know, almost sound clean and natural. But this is fossil fuels. It's just in the form of gas. Uh, oil is liquid and coal is solid. This is another fossil fuel and it's gaseous. But make no mistake, it's a fossil fuel. And me- methane, by the way, is something that we should talk about, too, because methane, especially when it is just vented and not burned, is a horrible, horrible greenhouse gas. That's right. Natural gas is mostly methane. And, and part of the problem here is it's a fossil fuel. So when you burn it, it produces carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas. But when you attempt to extract it from the earth, some of it leaks into the atmosphere, and that's methane. And methane is a very potent greenhouse gas, at least on sort of timescales of decades. Uh, It has the potential to add significantly to warming in the near term, less than CO2 in the long term. So in the end, it is the carbon dioxide that's most important here, but the the methane is also a, a real... Uh, problem and we need to deal with it as well. And doubling down on fossil fuel extraction and fracking is is, is a double whammy, right? Because it's putting methane gas into the atmosphere and it's a fossil fuel. So we're still burning fossil fuels. And can you capture all of it or almost all of it? I mean, aren't there processes to do that? And aren't didn't we try to do that? And didn't Trump reverse those processes yeah. or that mandates? That, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, there were some executive actions under the Obama administration that put more constraints on the natural gas industry, forcing them to use better practices to prevent uh, leakage into the atmosphere. Ultimately, it's much cheaper for them not to do that. And so what the Trump administration did was come in and get rid of all of those restrictions. And that means there was no incentive to the natural gas industry or the fossil gas industry to do a reasonable job in capturing this so-called fugitive methane. And that really partly is part of the problem when you have a president who believes <laughs> that uh, climate change and global warming are a hoax. Perpetrated by the Chinese, exactly. Yes, yes. But now we don't have a president who does that, and hopefully uh, he'll be successful in this. So can you make up for what Manchin got negotiated out in, on another side of this? So the jury's still out on that one. It depends on the assumptions you make about the implementation of the provisions that are still in there. A credible argument could be made that we come close. So it's possible with the provisions that are still in there, in particular because there is so much funding. Again, half a, half a, a trillion dollars um, is a lot of money. That funding 
for renewable energy um, to, you know, that's going to make a real difference. And with those efforts and with the efforts that we see at the state level, at the local uh, level, the West Coast states, the Mid-Atlantic and New England states all have policies to try to move in that same direction. Collectively, one can envision a scenario where we at least come close. But we have reduced our, our footprint in the last, what, uh, 15 years or so? Is that correct? Yeah, we have, um, our, our carbon emissions have started uh, to come down. Um, in the developing world, they're still going up. In most industrial course, countries, they're coming down a bit. Um, but it, it's no good if they come down 5% or, or 10%. They've got to come down 50% within the next decade. Right. And uh, and part of the reason they've come down, though, is is we've made a lot of progress in figuring out how to do this, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you look at it this way. 30% of our population now um, lives in states, uh, the states I mentioned, the West Coast states and the New England and Mid-Atlantic states that have some sort of cl- uh, climate policy, that have incentives for renewable energy. And so we're making some real progress. I mean, California has really uh, led the way. It's shown that you can grow the economy and bring down carbon emissions at the same time. And it's a model really for the, <laughs> the rest of the country. Um, so those efforts, uh, really largely at the, the state level and through these consortia of, of states, have made a difference. Uh, and collectively, the world is moving away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy. I think renewable energy now is responsible for uh, more than 20% of total electricity uh, production. Um, there's more added capacity in renewables than fossil fuels now every year. So we're creating more clean energy infrastructure than we are creating fossil fuel infrastructure, but we've got to retire the fossil fuel infrastructure. That's the thing. Right. And uh, we're not doing that. Certainly, we're not doing it. We're not certainly doing it fast enough. Uh, That's right. Now, we talked about the developing world, and of course, they're developing, so they're going to be needing more energy. So, uh, and we need to, as you say, have them skip the fossil fuel burning yeah. stage and go right to renewables. You you said a trillion dollars from uh, the, I don't know, the, the developed countries. That's an estimate of how much is necessary. And right now, the we, we've only seen a commitment to about a hundred billion, a hundred billion. So we're still pretty far off. And that's a problem. It, it just seems like... What you see on all these is everybody comes in talking a good game, yeah. and then when you leave, it's uh, not <laughs> it's not satisfactory at all. I mean, you so, uh, Greta uh, Thunberg, uh, Thornburg, Thor, uh, Thunberg, I Thunberg. Think. Okay, yeah, okay. Greta Thunberg, uh, she did her famous blah 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 speech, right? And there's a lot of truth to that, is there not? There is. And, you know, uh, we can see that playing out in in the politics right now. Um, I know you're shocked that there's politics um, playing out in Glasgow. You know, India, for example, uh, initially came in, they came in and and they said, we we don't believe in ever achieving net zero emissions, which would be a problem because, you know, if we never achieve net zero emissions, we would have infinite levels of, of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Of course, we come up against some finite limit. But the point being, uh, they didn't even agree you know, initially uh, didn't agree to any limits. And then they came in and said, well, okay, we could bring them to net zero in 2070. 
And that's, you know, 20 years later than uh, the vast majority. That, that's of their countries. most recent. Uh, that's their most recent bid. gambit. And yeah. so what's going on here, and it's hard to blame them, is it's, it's exactly what we just talked about. I mean, why shouldn't they have the right to build their economy on cheap fossil fuel energy if we don't have our act together, if we're not doing our part? And so I think this is part of the wrangling. Right now, you're seeing a pretty hard line from India because they want to see that assistance that they need in the form of financing and, and, and funds so that it is to their economic advantage to develop clean energy infrastructure. It's completely understandable on their part. And so there does have to be a meeting of the minds between the developing world and the big industrial uh, economies of the world. And, and, and does it just seem that the big industrial economies of the world talk a big game and understand what a disaster it is not to address this. But then when they get there, it, what stops them from committing the, to the levels we need? Is it just, is it politics back home? I mean, yeah, they always say follow the money, right? <laughs> um, and, and in the end, you know, there is a lot of money to be made um, still in fossil fuels. And there, is, as you know, Al, is a great amount of influence uh, that we still see by the fossil fuel from the fossil fuel industry when it comes to policymaking. The reason we don't have climate legislation yet in the United States is, is because of the fossil fuel industry, um, even to the person, even to, you know, that literally the one person holding up uh, a climate bill right now is uh, a coal state Democratic senator from West Virginia who has personal investments in coal. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, it's a little LBJ-ish. Yeah. feeling, um, unfortunately. I take LBJ over, <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, thank God for Joe in the sense that if, if, you know, we didn't have a Democrat there, Mitch McConnell would be the That's right. majority leader. So let's just remember that. The point is, is well taken. And, 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 uh, and, and I'm hopeful that in the end, he, he will come down on, on the side of passing meaningful climate legislation him i can figure out a little bit um cinema i i just i don't understand and maybe people inside the caucus understand her a little bit more well what, I, what i've heard and you probably heard similar things is that some key people are hearing from her so there's there are mumblings that she she she's playing ball but we're not seeing any evidence of that well maybe that's that's intentional on everybody's part and We'll just have to be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, in, a, in a couple of days, I hope. Let's Jeez, hope. Uh, it's too bad that it's taken this long. Okay, let me ask you about some other stuff, um, like the Amazon and deforestation, because we keep talking about this shit, right? We've talked about deforestation for a long time, but we keep deforestating. It, again, you know, it comes down to the almighty dollar, uh, you know, Bolsonaro, uh, Brazil, um, is siding with developers uh, over the, the rest of the planet, I guess, um, in, you know, encouraging policies, in promoting policies that lead to the deforestation of the Amazon. If I just tell my listeners not to eat anything with palm oil in it, right. will that solve a lot 
Well, you know, this gets at the, you know, the age old question, individual behavior versus policies. Sure. You know, individuals trying to be enlightened, making environmentally. um, I'm talking about my massive audience. They're not just individuals. Yeah. Well, no, they act like sheep. If I tell them. (laughs) (laughs) So you mean, well, they'll do anything that we tell them to do that I tell them to do. Michael, they don't know you from Adam. Okay. <laughs> if right, I well, say to my um, listeners, don't just look at the label, no palm oil, you'll save uh, several acres. Yeah, well, there, there you are. And, and you know, ultimately, of course, we, we need policies uh, that incentivize that behavior so that even the people who aren't making decisions consciously to help preserve the, the planet will still make the right decisions if it's cheaper for them to buy products. Uh, if they're unable to buy products that have palm oil, um, then it's not a problem. Um, and so, yeah, there's a role for sort of consumer choices individually and collectively. But, you know, in the end, what we're looking at are, are policies right now, policies in Brazil that favor uh, deforestation. Well, okay. for example, now, and Biden spoke to this uh, yesterday, I believe, which is that he has asked the OPEC countries to increase their oil production right now because the cost of of gas is so high at the pump. And he said, well, that kind of sounds hypocritical, doesn't it? Everybody. (laughs) And then they kind of went, yeah. And he went, yeah, I know it does. But uh, you see, uh, we need lower gas prices right now because – it's, it's, it, it gets into a really interesting <laughs> conversation out because on the one hand, the energy industry is using these shortages in these uh, price spikes to try to convince the public that this is the problem in moving towards renewable energy, that it's the, the wind turbines and the solar panels that are responsible for these spikes right now when that has nothing to do with it. Um, so I think what Biden is obviously doing, if you can relieve this sort of short-term crisis, which are these price spikes, then it, it, you can still be working towards solving the problem in the long term. But right now, there's an effort to sort of exploit these gas spikes um, by the fossil fuel industry to scare the American people, to convince us, oh, look, this is what's going to happen if we move towards renewable energy. You know, we're going to have to shut off your your furnace um, and you're going to freeze these are the sorts of scare tactics we're seeing from them. And so I think Biden, in a sense, is sort of uh, is forced to deal with that immediate problem. I've heard a lot about like a carbon tax, right, which I think we should have. And I think that we should design and I'll let you interrupt me at any point. But this is I think we should basically design a carbon tax where everybody pays into the carbon tax and then the carbon tax collected and given back to people who need help buying their gas and buying whatever they need to buy in terms of energy because of the carbon tax. And so it's it's revenue neutral, net neutral for them, or maybe it helps them a little. And really, really, really rich people (laughs) have to pay something, have to pay a lot. It's a horrible thought. It's a horrible thought of them having to get out of their cars. You know what? You know what I think? This is what I think. And I know that there are people that are, you know, Jeff Bezos and and those people who will go like, you know what? I'm going to give a billion dollars this year to... For, for right. you know, and you go like, oh, or Elon what? Musk now is going to solve world hunger, apparently. Oh, good. Yeah. Phew. I feel much better now. <laughs> um, okay. But what I'm saying is, if you are those guys, 
the only thing that can go wrong for you and your your uh, children and your children's children, your children's children, 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 is the planet. Because right. you're fine, right. and everybody's <laughs> fine. So there's right. nothing that can go wrong for you other than this. You're right. So why not step up on this and going like, grandkids, you're only going to have, you're only going to inherit $20 billion. I'm so sorry. When you lay it out that way, it, it, it sounds very convincing. Uh, the problem is that that's rational. <laughs> that's, that, that's rational. But isn't it like... What can possibly go wrong for me and my, yeah. my family? Nothing. Yeah. I have so much money. Nothing can go wrong for but me. But you're being rational. And, 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 and the problem is we have irrational behavior. This idea that maximizing wealth is all that ever matters. And every decision that you make is to simply increase your wealth. The, the, you know, this, this mentality of maximizing wealth at all costs isn't rational in the end because it leads us, you know, it, it is on a collision course with environmental sustainability. There is no economy on a dead planet. That's the bottom line. I was on the energy committee. I'd be the chairman of the energy committee if I were. Yeah. It didn't happen to me instead of Joe, I'm actually. I, so I know. There you, there you I know. go. Okay. There's an alternate universe I'd rather yeah, be in where that's the case. But anyways, so anyway. Yeah. So anyway, so we have this. This uh, this call, and the Republicans are in the majority at the time. Murkowski is the chair. So we have this uh, on, on rising sea level and what the effect of that could be. And no Republican shows up except Murkowski. At least she has the – she knows she's yep. the chairman. I've seen – I've seen uh, actually where Republicans were in charge and the chairman wouldn't even show up for something that was uncomfortable. But anyway, yeah. she showed up. Yeah. But no other Republican showed up. And this was like – a month before Superstorm Sandy, and somebody in the uh, thing said, you know, the subways in New York could flood. And everyone's going, really? Oh, no, really? <laughs> and then they did like a month later. Well, and you'll remember, uh, you know, Al, that there was a bipartisan moment there. We all remember it, right? With Chris Christie and Obama and, and Barack Obama, you know, touring the devastation of the New Jersey coast in the wake of, of Sandy. We were all hoping that maybe that was that bipartisan moment where we could all get on board. Yeah. But you know what? Cruz and Cornyn from Texas didn't vote for money for New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Uh, remember when uh, Texas froze over? And, uh, I do. I think Ted went to, what was that? Cancun. That's it, Cancun. You know, everybody else voted them money. Yep. Yeah, no, he, um, you know, Ted Cruz uh, is one of the most profound examples of an environmental refugee. Um, he, because he, he, <laughs> That's right. It turns out if you've got the resources, um, environmental refugeeism uh, is, is very effective. Yeah, you can go from Bangladesh if it's flooding to fly to uh, Cancun. Yeah. Cancun. Yeah. Go to the Rich Carlton. You know, Boat drinks and and yeah and and watching the devastation uh, remotely on your television. So, like the prime minister of of uh, Bangladesh flies to Cancun and gets caught and he goes like, "No, I was only going for, to <laughs> drop the girls <laughs> and coming right back." Yeah, you know it's it's funny <laughs> politicians from Bangladesh don't behave that way. It's, no, they uh, don't. I met. I was at the Paris climate 
conference. I was at that one. And I met with the Bangladeshi uh, uh, delegation. And I kind of went in that meeting like thinking like, man, they got to be mad at us. If anybody right. deserves to be mad about all of this, it's Bangladesh. They were the yeah. nicest, sweetest. <laughs> well, and, and they care about their people, too. It's a really strange phenomenon. Yeah. It was actually something I brought back from that, which was remarkable. How yeah. how yeah. lovely they were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's, it, it's true. That's the tragedy. That's the tragedy. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Michael Mann, a Ph.D., I think. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. We're back with uh, Michael Mann, a recipient of the Nobel Prize in Climatology, and we're talking about the climate. Are there, are there other places that are actually standing up and, and doing the right thing on deforestation? Like, how's Australia doing? They're doing a great job um, with uh, the, the wildfires. Um, yes. A couple years ago, those got rid of a lot of the forest. Um, so they're really <laughs> doing a good job on deforestation. They're doing oh, it the oh, easy so way. Oh, so you're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. But well, they, they didn't, like, react to that and go, like, ooh, you know, we got a problem here and we should do something? Well, um, you know, I spent... Uh, a half year there on sabbatical when all this was happening and got to know, you know, the country and, and the people quite well. And and these are good people. They want to do the right thing. They have politicians who won't do right by them. And uh, right now, Scott Morrison, their prime minister, is really the skunk at the garden party. You might have even seen the video at uh, the G20. There's a video of him walking around trying to find somebody to talk to him and nobody would talk to him, uh, both, I think, because uh, of his inactivist climate policies and because he wasn't wearing a mask uh, as well. And, um, you know, the, the Australian people deserve better because they've seen that devastation. Those those bushfires, I was there for that. It was tragic and I was sort of joking about it. It probably isn't right to joke about it. Um, but, um, but, but there's some irony in that there was more carbon released from those wildfires than Australians had produced that entire year from fossil fuel burning. And it's a reminder that there are these feedback mechanisms that aren't helpful. And, and there are these thresholds that we cross. And at some point, Australia no longer becomes habitable. It's just too prone to drought 
and and wildfires. And that's the direction that we're headed right now. And I think Australians get it. I think their people understand that. They're on the right side of this issue. They need a government um, that is on the right side as well. And they don't have that right now. Talking about feedback mechanisms, methane in uh, the permafrost. This worries me a lot. Am I right to be worried or... Because it's, I saw this story in the New York Times about uh, the permafrost in Russia and yeah. just in, in like Siberia, just releasing just an amazing amount of methane. Well, and here there, there's some irony as well, because, of course, uh, under Putin, uh, Russia has been another skunk at the garden party when it comes to climate. Um, and they, they want to monetize their greatest asset, which is their, their fossil fuels. And, and, and they have played an adverse role in these negotiations now for a number of years. You know, the methane feedback. So there is a lot of misinformation uh, and, and, and sort of doomists. I've talked about this before with you. Uh, the people who are convinced it's too late to do anything about climate change because we're already seeing uh, irreversible runaway warming. That's just not true. And that there's so much methane coming out of the Arctic that 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 we can't stop it and that we're, you know, we're, we are now doomed that uh, we will be extinct in a matter of years. I mean, these are some of the claims that you see out there in sort of what I call the doomosphere the sort of doomist uh, outer reaches uh, of the blogosphere and social media. Mm -hmm. And there's some bad actors actually who are stoking uh, those fires uh, because if you can lead people down this path of hopelessness um, and despair, then, you know, you end up putting them on the sidelines when we need them to be on the front lines demanding action. And so we've got to get the science right here. We've got to correct the myths, regardless of what side they come from. And in this case, there are these doomist myths about methane that just have no basis in fact. It is true that if we warm the planet enough, if we fail to take any meaningful action and we warm the planet, you know, seven, eight degrees Fahrenheit uh, by the end of the century, then the paleoclimate record, then the evidence suggests that some of these feedbacks really could start to kick in and we could slide into a hothouse earth, you know, a fundamentally uh, different climate than, than the one that we live in, much hotter, much more formidable when it comes to, you know, uh, the viability of our civilization. But that is in a scenario of almost total inaction. If we keep warming below one and a half Celsius for sure, which is the target right now of these proceedings in Glasgow, but under two degrees or even three, which is almost a worst case scenario now, there's enough progress being made that we now think that even if there isn't much additional climate progress, just the fact that renewable energy is increasing exponentially and we are moving away from fossil fuels, you know, there's, there's a great likelihood that we keep warming below three degrees Celsius. Even in that scenario, we don't get runaway methane spikes. And we know this because the Arctic was warmer uh, 125,000 years ago. Now, the planet probably wasn't warmer. The Arctic was warm because there was more sunlight at high latitudes. It has to do with changes in Earth's orbital geometry, uh, the same changes that govern the ice ages. But the Arctic in the summer was probably a few degrees hotter than it is now. And there's no evidence at all that there was a massive release of methane then. So we sort of know that if we keep warming within a few degrees, 
we're unlikely to see these sort of runaway methane scenarios. If we if we exceed that range, then we do start to get into some of these paleoclimate analogs going back 50, 60 million years ago where there were episodes like that. And so it's all up to us in the end, whether or not, you know, we slide into a, a hothouse earth um, is entirely dependent on whether we, you know, act or, or, or not with regard to the climate crisis. Okay. I want to add, what do you say to, to I have, I have some right wing friends who will say like, well, you know, a couple million years ago, in Antarctica had tropical, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll right. say that and you'll go like, okay, but that's millions of years ago, isn't it? And can you speak to my idiot friends? For uh, me? I, I'd be happy to, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, there, again, there's always a, a, a kernel of truth, right? A grain of truth, which is that, yeah, a hundred million years ago, um, when the dinosaurs roamed the planet during the, the mid part of the Cretaceous period, uh, carbon dioxide levels were substantially higher than they are today, than they're likely to be even later this century. See? So it's not really a problem. <laughs> and so here's the thing. Yeah. Those levels of carbon dioxide emerged over timescales of tens of millions of years due to things like plate tectonics, these very slow geological changes that gradually brought the carbon dioxide levels up. And those same geological processes started to bring them down so that the CO2 levels dropped over the subsequent 100 million years. Uh, a lot of that carbon got buried beneath the ground in the form of petroleum, oil, natural gas, coal. That's the carbon that was up there in the atmosphere making the planet so warm 100 million years ago. A lot of it got buried over the subsequent 100 million years. What are we doing? We're taking all that carbon that got buried over 100 million years and we're pumping it back up into the atmosphere over 100 years, a million times faster. And that's the problem. We are creating scales of climate change, degrees of warming over a century that it takes nature hundreds of millions of years to produce. And it's the rate of warming and the rate of climate change now that is without precedent. And, and there's no precedent for, you know, life, let alone human civilization adapting to rates of change that are that dramatic. But aren't you lying because your income relies <laughs> on funding? Yeah. For this okay, kind of, you got me. For this got kind of fake one. science. Isn't that really that what's one. happening here, it's Michael? An, it's an elaborate hoax. <laughs> and I thank my uh, friends up in the Arctic who are playing along. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and all those kids that we have dumping water into the ocean to try to make it look like sea level is, uh, is rising. We pay them a dollar for each gallon that they dump into the ocean to, to produce this hoax of sea level well, rise. Finally, we got to the bottom of all this. Well, actually, you know, there was uh, Congressman Mo Brooks. You probably have heard of him uh, from Alabama. Yeah, he's he's good on all kinds of things. Oh, he's great, and he 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 provided an excellent. Um, oh, I want to hear this. I want explanation hear this. <laughs> of, of sea level rise um, uh -huh. some years ago. Oh, uh, he explained oh, yes. that it you you know it's rocks falling into the ocean. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's not me. That's that's uh, that's not you. That's that's our congressman from Alabama. Did anyone like like uh, say okay? Uh, where did these rocks? Uh, 
fall in? Can you identify what kind of rocks they were and how, what the math is on that? How many, (laughs) what the volume, what the volume of these rocks? (laughs) Yeah. Or at least a back of the envelope calculation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. I would have, I prefer that. I'd like to see Mo do that. Just with like a napkin and just, you know, working with a few numbers. (laughs) um, This a lot in science, you know? It's called dimensional analysis. Okay, you, you see here, now, this is the size of a rock uh, <laughs> right. on the West Coast. You, you ever been up there? It's beautiful. But a rock <laughs> can fall in there that's like, I don't know, weighs a couple tons. And that'll rise sea level. Have you ever seen a rock fall in a, a, like that big, fall in the ocean? And then uh, the water comes up. It's like that here. So you multiply that times. A uh, hundred billion rocks. <laughs> I don't know why. I think he could make a lot of money. The Mo Brooks lectures on climate, you know, he could uh, hook up with one of those, um, you know, the companies that have those. Uh, that gives me a great they, idea. They, yeah. Like a right wing uh, master class or yeah, something like exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would Mo be Brooks fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. We get Mo Brooks, we get um, Ted Cruz, uh, James Inhofe, if he's still up to it. Got Inhofe once. We did a, a Sheldon Whitehouse led this thing, which was we did an all nighter. We said the Democrats yeah. will do an all nighter on climate. So all of us just, you know, each had our half hour speech or whatever it was. And so Inhofe was the only climate denier in the Senate who wanted to get in on this and argue yeah. with us. And yeah. so he's working on his thing, like, just off the floor. I'm going, like, uh, uh, Jim, do you have any discredited studies in there? <laughs> <laughs> and he he has a good enough sense of humor that both he knew that was a joke and also that I was absolutely right. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then I also asked him, he he was the idiot. I mean, OK. Inhofe brought out the snowball. Right. right when right. it snowed and, and said the global warming isn't happening because it snowed here. Right. And I said to him, like, OK, Jim, I'd like to I want to get a snowball um, next time it snows and just pack it as hard as I can <laughs> into like an ice thing because I'm from Minnesota. I know how to do this. And then I'll get the C-SPAN camera. This is what I want to do. I want to go. You'll be on the floor. And then I want to just wing it at you. And then I want you to have preset uh, your glasses cockeyed and the, the snow all over your face. And tell the C-SPAN camera to cut to you. Would you do that? Because I got to get the parliament. with the snowball. I, I got to get the parliamentarian to agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no. Oh, that's too bad. I, th- I thought he had, um, I thought he was more of a sport than that. But, he got you know. it. He got it and thought it was funny, but no, he didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could tell Inhofe stories all day long, but. Uh, oh, he, he went after you all the time, right? Uh, well, not uh, all the time, <laughs> but most of the time he would get me confused with Michael Moore. 
So when he'd be, he was oh. once on the the Rachel Maddow show, and he was talking about climate policy. He said, "It's all because of that Michael, that Michael Moore." That he actually meant <laughs> me. Oh, he actually meant to, uh, Michael Mann, but he kept on saying Michael Moore. And poor Michael Moore is like, "What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> what did I do?" But wasn't he the West Anglia? And I got the wrong name of this. University. Well, there's East Anglia and yeah. West Anglia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you're talking about East Anglia. Okay. Yeah. East Anglia, some university in Great Britain, and there was some bogus scandal, right? Right. They stolen emails um, that were cherry picked. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? That were cherry picked to try to discredit somebody, uh, not a presidential candidate, but climate scientists promoted by WikiLeaks and uh, Russia. And Jimmy Inhofe. Uh, J- James Inhofe, um, <laughs> Joe Barton, um, and by the way, um, he, he's a congressman who also attempted at one point to subpoena all of my uh, my uh, records, all of my research records um, and emails. Uh, they called him Smokey Joe Barton because of his uh, Texan Republican who had very um, adverse environmental policies. And uh, he, he left office in disgrace mm. a number of years ago. I won't say why. And I would encourage your listeners to not Google Joe Barton. Do not do a Google image search on Joe Barton. Just don't do it. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, I don't want um, to know about but, this. There were a number, uh, there have been a number over the years of these, um, you know, Republican congressmen heavily funded by fossil fuel interests who have used their authority as committee chairs or, uh, you know, what have you to go after climate scientists, um, for example, promote these uh, myths based on out of context stolen emails. It's sort of uh, part of your uh, career description if you're a climate scientist today. Uh, yeah, to have been attacked. It's a badge of yeah. honor. But, you know, and fortunately, Republicans have stopped doing this, uh, stopped this idea of just raising uh, disinformation to discredit. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they've evolved. Um, you know, they're no longer outright denying the basic science in general because you can't credibly do that. Um and in fact, in, in uh, my book that we talked about some time ago, The New Climate War, is really about this the move away from denialism because it's not credible because people can see climate change is happening to these other insidious tactics to try to, you know, where the bottom line, um, you know, motivation is the same to prevent any meaningful action. It, it, and it's hopeless is one of them, right? Is one of the Yeah, things. right. Doom, uh, delay, division. And uh, deflection, uh, deflecting attention from the needed policies and, and systemic changes to, you know, uh, oh, it's just about recycling your bottles and cans and changing your diet, uh, making it all about individual behavior to the exclusion of sort of policies, governmental policies that can, you know, accomplish the transition that we need to undergo. Okay, well, uh, so what should we be looking for as this continues, this uh, summit? We've got politicians, or a, a number of them, a lot of them talking the talk. We need them to, to walk the walk. So rather than just speaking in vague commitments of you know net zero emissions in 2050, um, we need them talking about the steps that they are taking right now to end the development of new fossil fuel infrastructure, to retire existing fossil fuel infrastructure, to incentivize renewable clean energy, and to help the developing world 
leapfrog past the fossil fuel stage. We need to see real progress on all of those things. And so ignore the vague uh, pledges and commitments and, and listen for the specifics. What are they going to do that can allow them to actually live up to those commitments? Uh, thank you, Michael. You're just a great resource for this podcast and for uh, the world, actually. So there. Well, you, you are too kind, my friend. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. If you like the Al Franken podcast, you can listen to all episodes ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Summer is here and adventures await. Wondery and Tinkercast are teaming up to bring you a summer of wow with new episodes of your favorite podcasts. Go on an epic adventure with Portuga the Pirate as she takes a road-tripping adventure across the country on little stories everywhere. Immerse yourself in the life of someone amazing and listen closely for clues to guess who this person is on Who's Amazing Life. Listen to Wow in the World to discover something new about science, technology, and innovation and the world around us. This summer, bring your imagination out into the world and find your wow. Visit Wondery.com slash Summer of Wow to find new episodes of your favorite shows and to download scavenger hunts for the entire family how much do you really know about black history like really really know wondery's new podcast black history for real we's black history's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large listen to black history for real on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts